0: welcome to Fortune's Wheelhouse, a podcast about esoterics and the tarot. I'm Susie Chang, and my co-host is Mel Moline. The first 78 episodes of Fortune's Wheelhouse offer a card-by-card breakdown of occult correspondences and symbolism in the tarot. If you're a new listener, you may want to start there. In this season, we've been leveling up and examining each correspondence system on its own. First, we looked at the seven traditional planets in tarot, and then at the numbers one through ten in tarot, and with this set of episodes, we're doing a deep dive into each of the twelve signs of the zodiac in tarot. Remember, if you're diving in at random and one of us says something utterly opaque, we have lots of resources on our website to help with some of the more obscure esoteric doctrines that we deal in. That website is www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. There are also a couple of other places where you can check in with us online. You can visit Mel at tabulamundi.com and you can visit me at tsusanchang.com. You can also join over 650 smart, nice, and most importantly, like-minded friends at the Fortune's Wheelhouse Academy group on Facebook. As you know, each episode we have a giveaway. The prize for our last episode on the sign of Scorpio was a black and white deck from Mel, and our winner was Katya from California. Congratulations, Katya. If you're not Katya, you can, of course, still always order the black and white editions of Tabula Mundi at Mel's website, www.tarocart.com. Now, for this week's episode on Sagittarius, we have a very special double giveaway from me and Mel, extra expansive for Jupiter. My contribution is a set of four of my new Eight of Wands talisman tags, which you can fasten to your suitcases or really anything else for magically expedited transportation. And Mel's contribution is a print of her electric Eight of Wands from the Tabula Mundi Tarot. You can also buy Mel's prints at her shop, www.tarotcard.com, and my talisman tags can be found on Etsy, at www.etsy.com shop tarotista or on my website, tsusanchang.com. As always, all Fortune's Wheelhouse patrons at the $3 level or higher are automatically entered in the drawing. If you're not a patron and you would like to be, you can sign up at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. And now here's this week's episode.
1: I saw seven arrows flying by, flying by. I saw heaven's angels upon high, with their wings outstretched to fill the sky.
0: Hello, everybody. We are back, and we are here to talk about the sign of Sagittarius, which is home turf for Mel. We're going to be talking about a variety of Sagittarius-related cards. They are the temperance or art card, the eight, nine, and ten of wands, the king or knight of wands, and to a lesser degree, the queen of pentacles who holds the final Deccan of Sagittarius. And we will also touch upon the ruler of Sagittarius, Sagittarius, Jupiter, whose major arcanum is the Wheel of Fortune, and the elemental major, which is that of fire, otherwise known in tarot as the Judgment or Eon card. All right, let's see. Technical specs for Sagittarius. It is a positive or day or yang sign. It is of the fire elemental triplicity. Its quadruplicity or mode is mutable. And Jupiter is the ruler, as we mentioned. Mercury is in detriment, uh, the opposite sign being Mercury's sign of Gemini.
1: All right. I think, did I miss anything And sometimes we've seen that the south node is exalted. Although, you know, that's a kind of obscure one.
0: But it's there. You don't
1: always see that mentioned.
0: All right. So let's... Talk about Sagittarius, um, the archer or the centaur. In fact, you know, I just found out that the, uh, <laughs> the Hebrew, the Hebrew, uh, word for Sagittarius is kesha, you know, just because of the bow. And we'll yep. talk about that more when we get down to, um, the Kabbalah stuff. The Greek name is toxotes, which means the bowman or the, the archer. And our word in English, toxin, actually is cognate with that. It's, uh, taken from the, Idea that they used to, you know, poison the tip of the arrow. Mm. I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, motto for Sagittarius:
1: I aim.
0: Yeah, which makes sense for the. Sometimes archer. you
1: see it as I seek, but um, usually it's I aim.
0: Mhm, mhm.
1: Both of which are basically
0: the same idea, I guess. Uh, as a mutable fire sign uh, and one ruled by Jupiter, it's a card of adventure, traveling, wandering. And, you know, and it's interesting, I was thinking about that with the two signs you and I are going to be talking about today, Sagittarius and Capricorn, that, you know, they really both have this sort of like, fringy feeling to them. Mm. It's like, I don't know, just because of Jupiter and Saturn being outermost traditional planets and having these emphasis on perspective and distance. Oh, and the other thing that I thought was interesting about Sagittarius and Capricorn is that, you know, they're both really mythic animals. Obviously and they're both hybrids. Uh, you yeah, know, the, hybrids.
1: The goatfish and the, uh, centaur horseman.
0: Yeah. I mean, I used to think of Capricorn as just being the goat, but now I've really come around to that, you know, goatfish thing. Um, the, and there's two animals that really just come to us straight out of myth. I think when you have hybrid animals, that really puts an emphasis on, you know, what different natures you're talking about. You know, I think people often say of the centaur that there's a human
1: nature and a bestial nature that are
0: striving to reconcile
1: it's also interesting that the um you know the last sign scorpio we've got all the the cards of fall fall going into winter in the northern hemisphere anyway but we've got scorpio sagittarius and then capricorn and if you look at all those cards those are all really cards of testing in a way yeah you know death temperance and the devil they're all Mm. they're all forms of like trials that we go through that's
0: true. In that part of the tree also, you know, below Tiferet, they kind of have that there,
1: those three parallel paths. Yeah, they all connect to Tiferet. Mm-hmm. Winter is coming.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. Other... Set the um,
1: controls for the heart of the sun. <laughs> I, I think of the
0: story of Sagittarius is how to be a legend. You know, there's a there's a huh. quality of epic myth makers, yeah, yeah, storytelling. Finding in their own mind, anyway, well, superheroes. Sure. <laughs> but also, you know, it's everybody's a hero, right? You know, but Sagittarius is good at telling that story and seeing the hero in themselves
1: and in others as well. Uh, I think or as that's, Sagittarian Jim Morrison says the most philosophical of the signs. <laughs> Did he say that? <laughs> and also, the most likely to be a pompous horse's ass. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the horse's ass, good one. <laughs> but um,
0: yeah, I mean, like the 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 archetype of Sagittarius in some versions is Chiron, right? You know, the
1: the mm-hmm. centaur, who the teacher. The, yeah, the um, the centaur teacher, teacher of heroes. Great. Of the interesting thing about. Him, too, is how he, you know, he was immortal, but he traded his immortality to save Prometheus.
0: Yeah, I, I, there's a real idealism, you know, and generosity of spirit. I, th- I think of the Chiron myth as kind of speaking to the ability of Sagittarius to see the hero in, in others and their potential mm. and and to help cultivate that because every hero needs a teacher.
1: I see Sagittarius, too, a little bit in the, you know, the Robin Hood archetype.
0: Yes, absolutely. I, in fact, I use the Robin Hood story to illustrate Sagittarius a lot of the time, because, you know, there's that Eight of Wands quality of going from place to place, the the nomadic adventurer, but also how did Robin Hood, you know, assemble his merry men by basically meeting a stranger and fighting him, you know, and saying, hey... You're not so bad. Why don't you join my, you know, my boy band? <laughs> <laughs> but there's that testing quality, right? You know, yeah. um, it's like, let's see what you're made of.
1: The other thing important to remember about Sagittarius or, or one one important thing to remember is just the connections with the ruler Jupiter. So because Jupiter is the ruler, it makes Sagittarians in general as having those qualities, joviality, you know, being happy-go-lucky, being expansive, being Mm -hmm. extravagant, always wanting more of whatever it is they want, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah, there's a desire to literally live large. Yes. How would you contrast, like, Sagittarius-flavored Jupiter with Pisces-flavored Jupiter?
1: Hmm, that's interesting. You know, the fire expression of Jupiter in Sagittarius seems more, you know, it's all about the the big ideals and and the seeking and the truth questing, you know, qualities of Jupiter, whereas the more watery expression, that seems more like the expansiveness of dreams and, and connecting with the universe, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The oneness of of everything. (laughs) Make me one with everything. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think of both signs are, inspirational, right? You know, right. but I think of the Pisces as really having an emphasis on the spiritual side.
1: Yeah, definitely. The mystic as, as opposed to the hero.
0: Let's see other qualities. There's all, there's
1: a real optimism to Sagittarius. Oh yeah. The rose colored glasses for sure. (laughs) They're usually optimistic. I mean, obviously um, other things can affect that in general,
0: yeah, They're lovers
1: of justice and truth. You know, painfully honest.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs>
0: it's, it's the effect of blurting out what's on their mind, but never meaning to hurt anybody. By it.
1: Yeah, that's a real contrast with Scorpio, who will also be willing to say the truth, but they do it knowingly, you know, even if, if it's something negative. Or they'll say it knowingly, knowing how it's going to land while well, the Sagittarius truth blurting is more childlike and naive and not really understanding that maybe people don't want to hear the truth sometimes. <laughs> the but there's no malice.
0: I mean, sometimes the contrast is with Libra, right, where diplomacy is the number one goal. And it's interesting, because as mutable signs, Virgo and Sagittarius are each on either side of Libra. And Sagittarius is famous for being very blunt and open and Virgo's famous for being very critical. <laughs>
1: and the Sagittarian archetype is it needs a goal. It's forward looking, forward seeking, has a lot of great original ideas and big picture ideas. You know, it's really good uh, brainstormer, but not necessarily has the follow through always. Yeah, we've
0: talked about in the uh, certain aspects of the sign being, you know, incredible for that flash of insight.
1: Yes, definitely. That doesn't necessarily last. Yeah, bordering on prophecy sometimes.
0: Yeah, one thing that I remember about, you know, my sister is a Sag, and one thing that I always thought when I was little was that, you know, she would meet someone and she would really, you know, have a hero making narrative. About them, what was cool about them and what was interesting, and then she would be
1: disappointed,
0: you know, because <laughs> she went straight for the legend, <laughs> and people yeah. never live up to their. They're legends. very
1: idealistic, you know, in mm-hmm. general, and can be that can make you sometimes gullible, you know, mm-hmm. wanting to or, believe or the best. Maybe maybe gullible is too strong word, like overly yeah. trusting and wanting to believe in the best, you know, blind faith kind of thing,
0: and then reality just not living up to that.
1: Yeah. They're definitely like you can imagine a a wild horse would be. They don't want to be tied down. Freedom loving, you know?
0: Yeah, Wheel of Fortune, gotta keep spinning.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I, I can attest to being somewhat commitment avoidant in general. I don't necessarily mean that in like a partnership sense, although, you know, mm-hmm. that could apply to in some ways, but it's more like you don't want to pin yourself down to any one thing. You want to be able mm. to be free to move on to something else.
0: Yeah, fire is going to go where fire is going to go. I think uh, Kelly Surtees likened Sagittarius to a bushfire. It starts in one place, but it could end up anywhere.
1: Yeah, and there's something about the idea of mutable fire, mm-hmm. which really does kind of bring in the card in a sense, because you think of mutable as kind of flowy, like water, Yeah, but yet it's fire.
0: Yeah, and that's actually a really good segue to, I think, talking about the temperance or art card, which is, you know, so, so fundamental and such an important major. I mean, they all are, obviously, but but there's something about
1: this card that anchors so much of the the world view of tarot right well it's interesting because it's when we get to the Kabbalah, we'll see that it's the yeah. middle path of the middle <laughs> path, you know?
0: Right. It's interesting also that, you know, you have these these angel cards of temperance and the devil and right away Smith, you know, immediately following each other. I think it's Michael, actually, for fire. Yeah, Michael's <laughs> the archangel. I don't know. You know, it's sort of like one angel. Yeah. looks
1: very like another. But it's got two cups and so makes you think more of water. I don't know. Yeah.
0: Tough. Yeah, there is something very fluid about it. And the... Temperance card, one of the things that Waits said about it is that it tempers, combines, and harmonizes the psychic and material natures, which is kind of typical highfalutin speech for him. But you know, but I think that that makes it sound, you know, as sort of like the compromise, but the middle path isn't the
1: compromise, you know. It is sort of like No, and it's certainly not easy. It's just Yeah. It's, it's more been, of a devotional path, mm-hmm. which some people might think is easy. And I
0: think it implies that you've been to both extremes, you know, that you've gone and been tested like a sword is tempered, you know, in the very hot and the very cold uh, to
1: find that. Yeah, it's it's very much a stretching, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, how much can you handle in this direction? How much can you handle in that direction? Now, how much can you handle in totality? <laughs> yes. <know? laughs> yeah. Oh, and- you better you hit a better pull back a little and then stretch again, pull back. You know, it's like it's definitely a path of growth through yes. those, those te- that testing and um, seeing how much you can handle. Right. I mean, it makes you think of like,
0: you know, what makes the bow fly? It's like the tension of the bowstring. It's the, the, the putting it under stress. The greater the stress, the farther the distance the arrow can fly. And
1: it's definitely that, you know, juxtaposition and assimilation of opposites that you have going on with fire and water. Or you could say, You know, force and form, like how how do these two things interact, consciousness Mm -hmm. and will, how do those how do those things interact, produce a third thing, which, you know, would be, I guess, fire and water combined would be air, which is a form and force or consciousness and will. What do they what do they make together they make this astral image which you know in that area of the tree of life mm-hmm. you're kind of connected to that astral image making yeah. quality of yisod. Crowley said about the fire and water thing he he said that it was like a crude representation of the satisfaction of the desire of the incomplete element of one kind to satisfy its formula by assimilation of its equal and opposite. So it's this mm-hmm. desire of all things to meet their equal and opposite and somehow reconcile the two. Yeah, it's also expressed as the consummation of the
0: royal marriage, you know, of the lovers.
1: Right, um, which is the same mm-hmm. axis. So we've got exactly. the Gemini-Sagittarius axis. Um,
0: right, right. Those two cards being just endpoints of the same yeah. thing. Yeah. This is, I guess, you know, has intimate connections with Crowley's Liber Samael, which is his version of the headless right. Um, right. The traveling to meet the holy guardian angel, uh, the better self, you know, and I I think that that journey is also the journey of alchemy, which we see represented in the vitriol logo in the card and in all of the representations of, you know, the white and the red and the crucible and the, you know. uh,
1: Yeah, one thing is, it's interesting to think of when you think about alchemy as the symbolically the changing of lead to gold. So metals don't grow, they're, they're dead. They're yeah, yeah. they're not considered like alive. They're they're dead things. But the art of alchemy somehow transforms them into from mm-hmm. a, a dead state of metals into a, a vegetal state where that's the green of the you know that you see mm-hmm. in the green dress mm-hmm. of the card. So that that state of growth. Allows the metals to then transmute and yes. turn into something else because they they become more alive through this process.
0: Yeah, there's an alchemical concept that all metals strive to be gold and that they are trying to awaken to their their higher nature. I- and that's
1: you know we didn't mention the name the um the hermetic name of the card the hmm. the daughter of the reconcilers, which makes ah sense, right yes and yes. the bringer forth of life that awakening of the metals. To a to an alive state
0: right yeah and the 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 many breasts of the art figure in Crowley you know that's also a representation of I think the Diana of Ephesus you know the mm-hmm. many breasted Diana as a fertility icon There's- it's also
1: the um six planets around the sun, if you look at it closely. So it's, it's you know, it brings in the planets as metals around the sun, which is gold.
0: And then in the Rider-Waite-Smith, you have the solar image on the head of the angel with the, you know, the pool of water representing the And the, the moon golden of cups.
1: Mousseau.
0: Yeah. And that to me is a pretty clear representation of the placement on the Tree of Life. But Originally, the temperance angel just had a flower, you know, on its head. And it was that was one of the esoteric innovations of the Golden Dawn to replace it with this sort of image of, you know, the, the, the surgeon's mirror, <laughs> the idea that that we are balanced between the water on the bottom and the fire on the top, which itself is what creates conditions for growth, you mm-hmm. know, the moist soil and warm sunlight. We should just refer to the fact that, you know, we do have a post explaining the bow imagery on the Tree of Life that will kind of help visualize that, but we can talk about Kabbalah a little bit
1: more. Yeah, what's interesting about the bow is, like, if you look at the paths that make up mm-hmm. the bow itself, one is a path of water, the moon card, and one is a path of fire, the judgment card, mm. and then you've got the uh, universe path as the, the grounding beneath it, and then you've got the arrow, which is the Sagittarius path. Right,
0: exactly. And the path of water would be the the moon, which is Kof, and then the path of Eon, which is, or judgment, which is Shin, and then the path of the world or universe, which is Tav, spelling Keshet, meaning bow. And they do form a bow shape. And then, of course, the path of Samech, or temperance or art, forms the arrow that goes through that into Tiferet. And that is the the journey to meet the angel. And the interesting thing about Sama also is, I think we probably talked about this when we did the temperance episode, is that it is the only closed letter in the Hebrew alphabet. You know, it is a loop, essentially. And, you know, which you can compare to the Ouroboros, right? The idea that it is unbroken. And also it's the first letter in Sod, which is secret which is an important concept in textual analysis in Judaism, the idea that there's a secret layer of interpretation, you know, and it's, of course, the focus of Lieber Sonic. But also that Ouroboros shape is, in a sense, kind of explains the headless rite because, and why it's called the headless rite, because there's no beginning and there's no end. The head is, you know, swallows up the tail. It's all one thing and it's all continuous.
1: Do you want to talk about the Headless Rite or at least give re- um, listeners yeah. a little context about that in case they're not familiar?
0: I guess so. So the Headless Rite was popularized by Crowley in Lieber Samek. And I think, you know, for that reason, a lot of ceremonial magicians know about it and have tried it. It's also known as the Bornless Rite or the Steel of Jew. And, and the idea, you know, in modern times has been to connect with the higher nature, with the Holy Guardian Angel. It is not, however, a new rite. It comes out of Greco-Roman Egyptian magic. I'm actually studying it in the PGM right now. And it was originally a rite of exorcism, whether to exorcise demons from yourself or from other people. And you can kind of see how, you know, invoking the angel is a way of chasing away those demons. Mm. It's interesting because I feel that it has roots both in this part of the sky in Sagittarius and in Capricorn. because Yeah, for sure. You know, because that is a thonic, a solar thonic god that you're calling upon. Um, sometimes, you know, there's a part of the rite that says, you know, headless because the head is buried deep in the ground and the feet, you know, it says, I see with my feet, you know. So there's like, you know, the feet are above the ground and the head is buried in the earth. So it's a very powerful Right. The idea is that you purify yourself, you burn away with mutable fire. You Sounds burn, like temperance. Right. You burn away the impurities, the attachments and demons in the modern sense, or in the traditional sense, that have attached themselves to you in the course of everyday life. It's fascinating, actually. It's a very powerful right. I've heard people say that It's almost too powerful, (laughs) like, you know, dousing your house with bleach. (laughs) (laughs) But definitely worth investigating for anyone who is interested in ritual magic. There's Libra Sama, which you can use to look it up, but it's also in the Greek Magical Papyri, 5, lines 96 to 172. So if anybody knows anything about the Greek Magical Papyri, which are those Greek Roman Egyptian grimoire materials uh that's likely the right that they know. You know, one thing that I've often thought about the judgment or eon card as the card of elemental fire. So, we're talking about uh Aries, Leo, Sagittarius all kind of answering to the judgment or eon card in one way or another is that the Aries card sort of sets sets the stage, that, I call it how to aim high, how to find that inner potential and figure out the sort of seed that burns within a person to achieve, and then the Leo part of it, the strength part of it, you know, Aries being the emperor, Leo being strength or lust, is that sort of like how to shine in the sun, how to go public, how to do your feats of uh, mastery, your your feats of strength, the things that make you famous. But to me, the the Temperance or Art card is specifically about, you know. What is the story that you leave behind? You know, what are, what are, what is it that people are going to say about you when you're done? Because there's you, the sort of like ordinary human, and then there's you, the legend, (laughs) you know? And to me, the, the, the temperance or art card is like, what's the gold that you leave behind from your alchemical process that is
1: going to be immortal, I guess? Mm, What remains after all is burned away? Yeah.
0: Do you think we've covered the Kabbalah enough? I mean, we,
1: we definitely we've have covered, touched on it. And we've covered it so path comprehensively. Path from the moon to mm-hmm. the sun you know, at the mm-hmm. very center of the tree, pretty much. Yeah, in The middle so pillar, the middle of the middle pillar.
0: The middle of the middle pillar. Oh, and the other thing that's significant about that path, Right, is that it is the one that intersects with the path of the tower, Pei. So uh Samech and Pei, that intersection is the place from which mm-hmm. uh the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram is spoken. You know, it's a place of power. It's a place of identifying yourself as a god figure and announcing your influence over the
1: your position at the center of the universe. Exactly.
0: Right. <laughs> it's a way of saying that the world revolves around me, magically speaking, not narcissistically speaking. (laughs) (laughs) And also, you know, worth noting, which maybe we can talk about more when we get to the astronomy, that uh, Sagittarius does hold the galactic center from our point of view from Earth. Yeah. So in terms of the way Sagittarius breaks down into its decans, I always talk about the Eight of wands is the speed of the arrow, the nine of wands is the strength of the archer, and the ten of wands is the striking of the target. And it does remind you that even though we think of the metaphor of the archer as aspirational, it is an instrument of death, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Right. The, The stories about it all end with somebody dying and so that's why i think the 10 of wands has that heavy energy about it
1: that intersection of you know with saturn there fate and time mm-hmm. necessity and, and endings
0: yeah there's the sort of progression from the excitement and the brilliance of the flight in the 8 of wands to the tension that that produces between <laughs> uh the archer and his target and then the the finality of the arrow doing its work at the end of the day. And I often think of this final sequence in the suit of fire as having to do with what happens when in the last stages of ambition, you know, it's sort of like, if you are talking about whether it's a a legendary hero or a modern day entrepreneur or something, it does start with these sort of like Emperor-like two, three, and four of wands, bright ideas, and then you know, becoming famous, and then eight of wands word spreading, nine of wands becoming you valued by everyone and creating change in society. And then the 10 of wands is sort of like, where do you go from here? <laughs> because very often when the entrepreneur or the hero gets to the end of their journey, there's a really right, danger tyranny. <laughs> exactly. And the you know, and oppression sows the seeds of its own overturning. And so it has to start again. And I think that transition from the 10 of wands to the two of pentacles or discs is so fascinating of all of the tens and twos to me, because it's, it is the darkest night in our hemisphere, the darkest night the solstice, of the winter solstice. Yep. And the implication that you're finally going to change direction. You know, you've been carrying this great weight and now it's time to change and start something new. You know, one thing I never really understood in the Deccan imagery until, until we started talking about fertility and growth is that eight of wands literally is, uh, said to indicate growth in the field, sustenance and division, heat and heaviness in the plains, which at first seemed very strange to me because it's not a summer sign, you know, right. (laughs) But it is a sign that promotes multiplication, a sign of viral, going viral, you know, spreading things, and things increasing
1: (laughs) is the speed of thought, right? The spread of vision,
0: there's a quality about it that is quite amoral. Agrippa says it's a man armed in mail holding, a, you know, the famous naked sword. <laughs> <laughs> and that it yeah. signifies boldness, malice and liberty. So very often, you know, especially we see this nowadays, somebody says something outrageous and it spreads around the world like wildfire, right? You know, there's a boldness to it that you
1: can't take your eyes away from, even if you want to. Mm Boldness, malice and liberty. I don't know the freedom to spread around (laughs) the the Sagittarian, you know, traveling. Yeah. And there's a don't fence me in quality to it.
0: Also, you know, it's like the protection of free speech. And then the deck and images associated with the nine of wands are really weird. I mean, there's a woman weeping and she's covered in clothes. There's a man leading cows uh, and an ape and a bear in front of him. <laughs> but the significations kind of make sense, which are that grief and fear for your own body. That arrow is coming, <laughs> and you can see in the nine of wands the the apprehension of knowing that you have enemies. I think it's much more positively expressed in thought in the sense that the strength is one of experience and of being tested. But yeah, there's uh,
1: definitely something about mind over matter in the sense of the mind and body connection.
0: Yeah. It does seem like that. It does seem like that. Even, yeah, and- you know,
1: the ape and the bear, the, the ape being, you know, the ape of the thought, th- of thought, you know, <laughs> yeah. and the bear being more like the, the material body.
0: Yeah, again, that hybrid animal kind of thing going on. Oh, and then the Ten of Wands. Crowley says, you know, government, tyranny, lust of result, which, of course, is a fascinating, magical concept. You know, I I don't know if we've ever talked about it, really. I I mean, I only know about lust of result from sort of reading about chaos magic.
1: Seems like a basic quality of magic that Curly's often talked about, but I couldn't say that it originated with him.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think lust of result is kind of like by any means necessary. It's sort of like really, really wanting the thing to happen. But in chaos magic, they really counsel you to abandon lust of result. and Right. To let know, go
1: of right, the desire. D- does not matter, need not Start be. Start with the desire and then let go of the desire. You know, it's a it's a fine line to walk to both inflame yourself with desire and then let go. Yes,
0: yes. And that's sort of, I think, reflected in the in the deck and significations of the Ten of Wands. Evil desires, adverse effects, you know, evil conduct, obstinacy, and contention. So it's like, you know, taking things further than they really need to be taken. You know what's really crazy? <laughs> I associate this card with cleaning out the raspberries every year, which I do this time of year, because you know, you're pruning out the old canes, and it's a huge pain, and it's tiring. And but on the other hand, you get raspberries afterwards. Anyway, I was I was doing that last week. And I was listening to a podcast on fascism, superheroes and fascism, like the idea of Superheroes as a fascist fantasy. Anyway, very theoretical. But I was like, wait a second, there's something really interesting about that idea of fascism, and I'm not sure what it was. So I looked it up, and the etymology of fascism is literally a bundle of sticks. You know, it's like that it was a symbolic bundle of like axe handles or something showing the the state's capacity to punish and kill its citizens kind of a thing. When you hear the term fascism, you literally can think of this card, you know, the idea of oppression being tied to overwhelming force like that. Too many sticks.
1: yep don't be evil
0: do we have anything to say about the Deccan rulers mercury moon and saturn i guess saturn is the most obvious one i love the way you represented that in tabula mundi with the weight of the anvil choking off the fire in the flask that sequence of mercury moon and saturn in you know the sequence of planetary hours in the days always has a particular feel to it I don't know about this for you because Mercury time is great for me (laughs) anyway I love it you know it's like your thoughts are (laughs) flying you're writing you're just getting shit done and then moon time for me is like all right. You've been a little overactive. Maybe it's time to settle back and meditate or, you know, something like that. And then suddenly things do seem to take a turn for the, the
1: very <laughs> responsible and serious.
0: I don't know. I really feel it during that part yeah. of the day.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's definitely like that sequence is from motion into full stop. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I always feel the weight of my chores and responsibility during Saturn hours. But then, you know, the great thing is that Jupiter hour follows and you can reward yourself with lots of food, <laughs> <laughs> which I never fail to do. Should we talk a little bit about the court cards? Our friend, the knight or king of wands? Yeah, why not? Mr. I'm just jumping out of my seat and raring to go. <laughs> yeah
1: popping out of the gate.
0: <laughs> Both in Rider-Waite-Smith, and it's more subtle in Rider-Waite-Smith, but especially in Thoth, that guy is just, you know, he's he, he's barely contained by the edges of the card. I, I often think of like a racehorse at the gate. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In fact, the King of Wands in Rider-Waite-Smith is the only one, I think, who's sort of depicted in profile like that he can't even
1: sit still long enough to look at you (laughs) but uh, yeah he's about to jump out of his seat
0: yeah you can see you know with his whole body language is like i i'm here now but not for long and i think that's something that you've talked about with this his central deccan, the eight of wands that sort of impulsivity and the force behind it with the Nine of Wands. But the Ten of Wands as the Shadow Deccan of the Queen of Pentacles is interesting. I always think of her as being a bit haunted by the the specter of overweening power in mm. a way. I mean, she's the court card that presides over that turn out of it the darkness. It is the
1: danger of, you know, makers and builders... Yeah. to you know get a little too a little too much power
0: to be so consumed with the vision that you kind of forget the people who <laughs> who it's for <laughs> well we'll get to her more positive expressions in the 2 and 3 of disks I guess in the next episode but um but there is that about her which I think is you know, easier to imagine in a way in the Thoth card because she's holding that very large staff <laughs> with the crystal on top. Right. You know, the which big seems, stick. Yeah, it does seem like a big stick. Yeah, we should do this. It also so, it's all, Myths, you know, belongs to I together. mean, yeah. we, we
1: mentioned Chiron, the immortal center who, mm-hmm. um, you know, saved Prometheus from his torment. And basically, he was, you know, you mentioned the connection with toxins. Well, Poisoned by Hercules arrow and, and that's how he accidentally got his Unhealing wound. Yeah, I think there was a party of centaurs that,
0: that Heracles was attacking and he accidentally uh, nicked Chiron with a poisoned arrow. I mean that guy and, and he absolutely would not have you know intended for that to happen because Chiron was his teacher. Um, as well right. as all the other Argonauts, Jason and, oh, and, you know, and uh, Apollo's
1: son Esculapius also was a student mm-hmm. of Chiron. Right. Over so
0: there, 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 there's on. that,
1: there's that um, association with healing and, you know, there is the part of the Sagittarian area that also contains Ophicus mm-hmm. the healer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Chiron had that, Famous, uh, essentially a school on Mount Pelion for these her- heroes. You know, besides the the myth of the centaur and arrow in terms of Heracles wounding Chiron, there's another myth of Heracles, which is apt for that, too, where Heracles and the centaur Nessus, who attempted to rape his new wife, the Dianera. And Heracles kills him. But what happens, as you probably remember, is that Nessus, as he's dying, tells deonera you know, if you're ever concerned that Hercules might be unfaithful to you, you know, give him this shirt that's soaked in yeah. my blood, right? And poison, right. <laughs> right. And he'll stay faithful to you, you know, kind of hoodoo-like. So she takes it naively, and as is inevitably the case with heroes you know hercules eyes does wander after time and she throws this shirt on him and he burns he burns with fever he burns up essentially but he is taken pity on i guess by zeus and placed in the sky but again that sort of like idea of you know poisoned arrow toxic blood you know what is the the modality of healing, these all seem to be questions that go with Sagittarius.
1: And there's also, you know, just the other archers, you know, Diana is associated with the card, although we think of, you know, Mm -hmm. we already mentioned the the many-breasted Diana literally Mm -hmm. in the Thoth version of the card. But, you know, she's kind of more an archetype that we're into the the following path above Sagittarius, which is that of the priestess. But for the temperance card, I also associate Apollo and Artemis. Right, the sun and moon. Sun and moon, lunar and solar, and also both archers as right. being, you know, the end on either
0: end of the path, which is great. And then you mentioned, I think, earlier a little bit about Chiron's death and how Chiron the immortal, the only way that, that the Titan Prometheus could be released from his own bondage being chained to a rock and his liver eaten by a, a vulture or eagle or whatever it is for the infraction of giving fire to humankind. The only way he Prometheus could get out of this was for another god to give up their immortality, which, of course, nobody wanted to do. However, you know, Chiron, because he was tormented by the poison from Heracles' arrow, but could not die, and also because he was profoundly compassionate, said that he would give up his immortality so that Prometheus could go free.
1: You know, yeah, you know going back older, too, like before, before the centaur figure in the sky, it was thought to be a satyr actually which kind of brings almost in the mm. next sign capricorn you know it was a god called crotus mm. who was a who was a satyr who you know a war god like even the uh, um sagittarian gods usually are who was sent mm-hmm. after gilgamesh then there was um a mesopotamian war god nergal who was an archer also associated with the constellation so i guess that brings us into the astronomy kind of part of it a little bit yeah so the The alpha star is Rukbat, which has connotations if you, in in, in astrology, if that's, you know, associated with your chart, it has connotations of steadiness, as in the archer's stance, support and strength that you need to draw the bow and hold it steady before releasing the arrow. You know, another star that I thought was really interesting in the constellation was called Al Nassal, which means the point. That's the head of the arrow, and what's what was interesting to me is the archer is po- is pointing that arrow right at Antares in Scorpio, the heart of the scorpion nice it's and and that also brings in that idea of you know toxins is it is he pointing the arrow at the scorpion's heart to kill it or is he dipping it in the poison? Of the scorpion's right. sting, you know?
0: Yeah, or is he trying kind
1: of- to mitigate it in some
0: way in the way that, you know, a benefic mitigates a malefic? That idea of the firm stance does make me think a little bit of the body parts <laughs> associated with Sagittarius the hips, buttocks, shins, the horses' ass, the haunches. The horse's ass. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, and then in, there's also in uh, Sagittarius, there's a, a nebula um, in the face called Fasces, I guess you would pronounce it. And, um, mm. All nebulas are often associated with eyesight, either, you know, blindness and the lack of eyesight or intensely strong eyesight like you would need to be an archer. You would need really good eyesight. So, you know, nebulae are either one extreme of the other, either exceptionally good sight or inner vision or blindness and losing your your, your sight. Um but that Nebula is associated usually with the with ruthless focus and being driven, and that can be a kind of Sagittarian quality. I think you know that pursuit mm-hmm. of of knowledge.
0: Yeah, I aim. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. For which you really do have to have vision, both uh, literal and metaphorical. Yeah, colors.
1: Mix. Oh, yeah, colors. Um, you know, it's funny. I I often think of a, a Purple as a Jupiter-Sagittarius color, but that's not really the colors. Um, They're more greens and blues and yellows. Um, yeah, the
0: Golden Dawn did not use purple at all for Sagittarius, which is
1: interesting. I do think of purple as kind of being a Jupiter, Jupiter color. Thing but I'm um, sure. Yeah. So the colors for Sagittarius are blue, yellow, green, and vivid dark blue.
0: Mm-hmm. So very electric.
1: Yeah. I think of the thunderbolt of... And you've, you've got the, you know, you've got the blue of water and the yellow of, you know, the blue of lunar and the yellow of solar. You've got their combination green in the next scale, you know, and yes. the vivid dark blue. It, it, that makes me think more of, you know, the area of Ysode where it's coming out of. That's the princess scale. So it would be, you know, the foundation of it.
0: Right. So the geomantic figure is Acquisitio. What's the form of it?
1: Yeah, it's kind of like um, two upright bowls indicating the, the bountiful good things yeah. that it acquires and holds.
0: Yeah. yeah, remember when Jupiter was in Sag? Man, that was great. <laughs> <laughs> Just a couple years ago.
1: I know. <laughs> I'm I'm really tired of things, yeah. big heavy planets being in Capricorn.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and, and Pluto. Yeah, and Pluto too. Yeah, and the Mars square. I mean, it's like, what isn't there? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, it's it's been awful. But
1: anyway, back to the acquisitio, <laughs> yes. um, meaning you know, gain or acquisition. Mm-hmm. It's gaining all kinds of good things, you know, bounty, resources, honor, this, that, things, things that are desired. So it's usually considered something good, in unless you're trying to get rid of something, in which case mm-hmm. it, it's not good. Financial gain or uh, mental gain. What you don't you're... want is weight gain.
0: Right, <laughs> it is associated with the hips and thighs. <laughs> it wouldn't be good if you were
1: trying to go on a diet. Right. <laughs> Do you want to move on to the um, I Ching uh, hexagram fifty-one, which is thunder over thunder, fire over fire.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the one for the knight or king of wands. Yeah,
1: it's just called thunder. You know, yeah. Is it zen? Whenever is it, it's would about... it yeah, Zen,
0: Zen. Ch Yeah. So whenever they have the same element, they just name it after the the, the element. That makes right. up. Yeah.
1: Right. Which seems totally appropriate. Yeah, it does. It's that, you know, that I mean, he is the Lord of flame and lightning. So, of course, you're going to have <laughs> thunder and, and lightning and shocking, shocking movement. Yeah.
0: And, you know, and I often think of the lightning bolt as being a really good apt metaphor in the sense that it's, you know, it's it's incredibly intense, but it's there and gone.
1: Right, the Flash,
0: yep. The Flash, yeah, he, the, the superhero of Sagittarius. <laughs> <laughs> the magical weapon is the arrow, obviously, duh.
1: Um, right, which in 777, he follows that by saying it's the swift and straight application of force, which makes sense.
0: Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and then the magical power is of transmutation, right? Which is Which
1: that's very obviously alchemical reference you know the power of transforming lead into gold or or of altering any type of form or matter through a process that kind of changes it into a higher form nobody ever seems
0: to try to transmute themselves into a lower form no no one wants to turn their gold into lead what (laughs) (laughs) that would be hilarious actually reverse alchemist the lime aloes or ling aloes is is actually just a mm. word for oud or agarwood. That's a smell. I love that smell, mm.
1: even though so it's kind of gross. Some people think I like it.
0: Yeah, it's kind of this intense woody, raisiny, pruny smell. It's like
1: yeah, earth. and it's a little rubbery even.
0: It is. Yeah, it is. It's because it is resinous. But um, but I I also like it in small quantities. The mallow. I don't really know why, but I guess the color. And the sort of sweetness.
1: The foodstuffs are kind of cool. Like there, there a lot of things that you would think of, of horses as eating, like oats and apples and 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 almonds mm-hmm. and things like that.
0: Yeah, mulberries, I suppose, because they're that color.
1: Cinnamon, um, I've 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 seen. Oh yeah, yeah, because of the spices.
0: Associated. Yeah, yeah. That's- that yep. always made sense to me. There's a lot of warm spices associated with sediment. like a big because...
1: bowl of oatmeal with apples and cinnamon and some nuts on it. That, that's the Jupiter boots. So. The horse's breakfast. Right, right. Uh, well, obviously the
0: oak, because strong. Um, yep. Zeus's tree, king of trees. But also the rush, which is kind of the opposite because it, I guess, because it burns quick and bright, you know? Mm. People used to have rush. Lights.
1: Yeah, that's fire coming out of water. You know, the yes. rush is a, yes, yes, yes. a water that's thing. True.
0: Uh, animals, um, horse, obviously. I, there. I've seen
1: hunted animals. Oh, really? Like st- the stag and the, you know, the boar oh, and the things that are sense. hunted. Picatrix, I guess things I think, that would be hunted with an arrow, I guess you would say, you know.
0: You they- think. had snakes and small worms, which I don't really get, to tell you the truth. Hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't okay. either. <laughs> Stones are emerald, topaz, amethyst, lapis, I guess, um,
1: barrel i've seen you know, I've seen uh topaz topaz and yeah. um topaz and hyacinth and uh jacinth, and I've also seen interestingly enough mixed red and green stones I guess yeah, that would I be like a watermelon too. tourmaline or something Why there's not that green, many mixed red and green stones, but it makes me think of Christmas yeah, <laughs> and, uh, around too. that time of year yeah. you know right well that's Christmas is capricorn, but you know we we're yeah. getting ready for it in we're Sagittarius season. It's
0: interesting. Yeah, I'm not I'm not
1: quite sure or maybe
0: thinking of like, you know, the holly berry kind of a thing.
1: Mm. And turquoise. Mm. Turquoise, and turquoise is sometimes the Sagittarius birthstone.
0: You know what I didn't know is that emerald is just a form of beryl. I mean, it comes in Yeah, in,
1: it is. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of so is aquamarine. Sa- sapphire family, right? Sure. Most of this st-
0: there's a ton of different colored beryls that come in all kinds. The taste, uh, bitter taste supposedly. Places places of kings, places of fire. Gardens, universities and religious places. Um, yeah, that makes
1: sense for Jupiterian you know? things.
0: Yeah, places where science and religion... You
1: know, Courts of places. law, probably.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Philosophy, the universities,
1: advertising agencies, I think. Rex yeah, Bills definitely. Has <laughs> definitely a pro- propaganda quality sometimes with Jupiter. For
0: sure. I mean, advertising is just modern myth-making, you know. I think, I
1: think we've, we've gone through the it. usuals.
0: yeah. Uh-huh. All right. Some themes uh, of Sagittarius have been the idea of adventure,
1: of seekers and crusaders, teachers, and students, teachers and students, teachers and students, travelers and bohemians, the sociable and optimistic, legendary, the most philosophical of the science. There's definitely a visionary quality, though. He was right. For sure.
0: Visionary in all senses. The, the swift and impetuous nature of mutable fire. The works of alchemy and meeting the higher self.
1: The bornless or headless right, and uh, the meeting of the holy guardian angel. Reconciling force and form or fire and water or however you want to look at it. Consciousness and will. Those, you know, the idea of transmuting s- Something by bringing in its equal and opposite and uh, combining it.
0: Tempering as testing, as bringing something to its extremes to make it stronger, putting it under stress. Well, that seems pretty good. All right, well, thank you for coming with us on this long flight of the arrow to its destination. Uh, we will be back next time with the sign of Capricorn. See you then. And that's our show for today. You can find us at www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse, where you'll also find new episode announcements and loads of extra articles and visuals, which will help you follow along with the show. If you appreciate what Mel and I have done here at fortunes wheelhouse, please consider leaving us a five-star reviewer rating on iTunes, Apple podcasts, or Google play. And if you'd like to support the making of this podcast, and gain access to all the member perks that come with that, please consider becoming a patron at any level you like by visiting www.patreon.com slash fortunes wheelhouse. You can also explore Fortune's Wheelhouse gear, like t-shirts, tote bags, coffee mugs, and more, by checking out our Redbubble shop. That's it. www.redbubble.com slash people slash wheelhouse93 slash shop. Mel's beautiful books, decks, and prints can be found at tarotcart.com. And my book, Tarot Cases, Astrological Perfumes, and Online Tarot Class can be found at tsusanchang.com. Treat yourself to the tarot gift you've always wanted, because you are a hero of the astral plane, and we so appreciate your support.